This morning, we conclude our Cox Deeper Life series. On Monday and Wednesday, Joy Griffin shared in our chapels about this life of holiness. Today, Dr. Miranda Cruz, our new professor of theology at Indiana Wesleyan, comes to share about this life of holiness. Please join with me as we welcome Dr. Cruz. So I've learned that there are some things that you only do for family. There are some things that you don't do for a random person you meet on the street or maybe someone you happen to be having dinner with. And uh, a couple of years ago, I learned where that line happens to be, and unfortunately, it has to do with poop. <laughs> I finished seminary, and rented a truck, and moved to northern New Jersey to be a live-in nanny. This is a slight detour from where seminary usually takes someone, and I moved into this family's basement to care for their two small children. And after I'd lived with them for a while, I was giving the little girl a bath. She's about two. And I lean over to grab a towel or something, and I kind of hear her grunt. And I turn around, and she has stood up in the tub and pooped into her hand. And then she handed the poop to me. And this is a moment where I realized, you can't pay someone enough to do this. I am not just an employee in this house. I am not a guest here. If I'm holding the kids' poop, I am family. <laughs> and I'm still part of that family. The kids were in my wedding. When I talk to the mom, we refer to them as our kids. Uh, I transitioned from being this random person living in their basement to being a member of their family. Now, I spent a lot of time in different people's houses. I moved away from home to go to college. I was far away from my parents' house. So different families would adopt me for Thanksgiving and Easter and spring break, my roommates' family, professors' families, pastors' families. And I learned quickly that there's a big difference between being a guest in someone's house and becoming part of their family. My freshman year of college, I was a volunteer youth leader. And one of the other youth leaders invited me to spend Thanksgiving with his wife and kids. So I went and I sat fairly awkwardly on their couch and I watched football and tried to socialize with these people that I didn't really know very well and they didn't have the foods I liked for Thanksgiving and at the end of the day, they were very nice people, but I was a guest in their home. When I go visit my best friend, I'm family. I do the dishes. I sometimes go grocery shopping for her. I know where everything is. There's no feeling like I don't belong in that space. And what I've learned from that is that you can transition from being just taking up space somewhere to being fully integrated into the life of a community. So in Ephesians 3, Paul explains to the church in Ephesus that there is room at this table of God for people to be transformed from guests 
to family members. Paul explains the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The family of God had been confined to those people who were born of the house of Israel, and now God has flung open the entry point. You no longer have to be born into the family, you can join the family. Paul calls this the mystery of the gospel. And he ends that chapter, Ephesians 3, with a prayer to the church in Ephesus, and by extension a prayer for us as well, that we would not be guests in the table of God, but that we would become family members. Paul's prayer tells us how we become family at the table of God. This is what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who, by the power at work within us, is able to do abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As Paul writes this, he's getting excited. Uh, If his grammar teacher was reading this chunk of his letter, she would be very angry at him. He doesn't stop his sentences. In our English, this is all broken up, so it's easy for us to read. But what he's saying is more like, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love, that you may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." He's getting excited and his prayer crescendos into this final plea. This is what we want, to be filled with all the fullness of God. He doesn't say that we could have a little more of God or that we could know Christ a little better, but that we may be filled, that we may not be guests at God's table, that we may be transformed into full members of the household. We become sons and daughters. Now, if we want to understand what it means to be filled with the fullness of God, we have to understand something about who this God is that we want to be filled with. Paul makes a couple of things clear about who this God is. First of all, Paul makes it clear that this God is Trinity. He directs his prayer to the Father. He 
uh, prays that the spirit would indwell, that we would be strengthened by that spirit, and that Christ would dwell in us richly. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the fullness of God, that these three persons mysteriously are one God in a perfect relationship of love. The artist Andre Rubloff imagines this relationship between the persons of God as a family seated around a table. The Father, uh, can I get the picture on the slide? Thank you. The Father is seated on the left, the Son in the center, and the Holy Spirit on the right. They're gathered at this meal. They're leaning toward each other in conversation. They're enjoying each other's company. And the Holy Spirit's hand is extended toward us, as if to say, there's a seat here for you if you'd like to come join this fellowship. If you would like, you can be swept up into this love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're here. The place is open to you. That's a powerful invitation. This fullness of God that God can offer to us because God himself is a relationship of perfect love. Our being filled with the fullness of God is not just some vague idea. It is being swept up into this relationship, joining that conversation, becoming a member of this family. The next thing that Paul tells us about this God is that God is glorious. He prays that we will be strengthened in our inner being in accordance with his glory. Now, this glory is a little word with a whole lot of meaning packed into it. It's a heavy word. It's a weighty word. It implies power and blinding radiance. In Exodus 24, God's glory is described as a devouring fire. In 2 Chronicles 5, God's glory fills the temple, and it's so heavy and opaque that the priests can't even stand up under the weight of it. In Exodus 33, God hides Moses' face from seeing the fullness of the glory of God because Moses can't handle the sight of it. He can only handle a little glimpse. So when Paul prays for us to be strengthened in accordance with this glory, he's praying that our inner being would be strengthened in such a way that it somehow reflects the power of the glory of God that our inner being would be brought into accord with God's glory. In order to the, for the fullness of God to fill us, Paul is praying that we will be transformed by the perfect, mutual, self-giving love of the triune God and by the glory, the power of God, that our inner being is swept up into this God. This raises the question then, how can we be filled with the fullness of this God? And if we look at the beginning of Paul's prayer, he tells us how. First, he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your, in your inner being with power through the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit strengthens our inner being, enters us and transforms us from weak to strong, from death to life. It's significant here that Paul says we may be strengthened. We don't strengthen ourselves. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we strengthen our muscles? We exercise, right? But the exercise itself is not technically what makes our muscles strong. When we exercise, we're breaking down the tissue, and what makes it strong is that that tissue is then knitted back together and healed so that it's stronger than it was before. We don't actually make our muscles stronger. We put our muscles in situations where they get broken down so that then they get put back together stronger than they were before. So when I was seven or eight, I was diagnosed with asthma, mostly exercise-induced, and so I spent most of my life not really being very active. I thought that I couldn't. Uh, I walked the mile in gym class, and I played volleyball for a year, and that was bad. Uh, but when I was about 25, for whatever reason, I decided that I wanted to run a 5K. And the decision to run a 5K did not magically make me capable of running a 5K. I had to put my legs and my lungs in situations where they're going to be broken down so that then they could be made strong again. So at the beginning of this process, I don't think I could run a full 30 seconds without having to stop. And over time, my legs and my lungs were put in situations where they were able to be strengthened, and after a few months, I was able to run a 5K. Now, we do the same thing with our spirits. We make our spirits able to be strengthened. We put our inner being in circumstances that break them down so that the Holy Spirit can build them back up. We do this by following the example of Christ. He knew the scriptures. He taught them. He spent time alone in prayer. He spent time in community. He showed mercy and forgiveness. When we follow that model of Jesus, the pride, the envy, the bitterness that is in our hearts gets broken down and we're made susceptible to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, making us stronger. Now, the second thing Paul tells us is that Paul prays is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ himself comes and makes his home in us. It literally says he sets up house in our hearts. He paints the walls, installs new, new uh, carpet, rearranges the furniture, makes his home in us. This is a powerful experience, and it's not just a metaphor for becoming a better person. Christ actually dwells in our hearts through faith. I have a friend named Mike. Mike is a pastor. He's a teacher. He's a phenomenal gospel singer. And he's had five separate bouts with cancer over the last 25 years. Right now, he has leukemia. He's had it for a few years. He's praying for a match for a bone marrow transplant. 
A couple years ago, my church held a bone marrow registry drive in honor of Mike. We knew that it wasn't likely that anyone in our congregation would be a match for Mike. It's very rare for a donor match and a recipient to be of different ethnicity. But we held this bone marrow drive, and my husband ended up being a match for someone else. So a young woman somewhere in the United States, uh, I believe she has Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she needed a stem cell transplant. So my husband donated live stem cells, and the miracle of these bodies that God has made for us is that these healthy stem cells can be taken out of one person, transported across the country, and given to another person. And by injecting those healthy cells, there is no place for those cancerous cells to live, and the body that was dying is brought back to life. And that young woman is in remission now. This is the transformation that Christ does in us. Christ dwells in us so that there's no room for anything else. The cancers of pride and disdain and uh, self-hatred, there's no room for that. Christ clears that out so that we are filled with Christ. And our souls that were dead are brought back to life. Now, all of this happens as we're being rooted and grounded in love. Growing roots is messy. Roots have to dig through clay and dirt and muck. They have to drive through barriers, all to seek out the nutrients in the soil that will help them grow. God has made plants so that they they know to look for the nutrients. They're going to grow toward where the good soil is. They're going to lean toward the light to get the nourishment that they need. If a plant doesn't have good soil or it doesn't have light, it will be limp or colorless or it'll simply die. We grow roots wherever we're planted. And we have some choice about what those roots are going to be nourished by. God created us to be nourished by the love of God, to seek that out, to feed on that. But because of sin, our idea of what we need has been twisted. So we seek out gossip or slander or self-serving, and we nourish ourselves on these nutrients and the, the way we grow tells us something about the kind of nutrients we've been feeding on. I have a friend who uh, grew up around images that gave her the idea that there was something wrong with the way she looked. She liked fashion, she liked fabric, she liked sewing, and she would buy these fashion magazines. And as she looked at these fashion magazines, the idea got deeper and deeper into her head that she was supposed to look like that. And this became an obsession for her. She bought these magazines and she would cut out the pictures and her bedroom was literally wallpapered with them. She would tape them to her wall, her ceiling. She was surrounded by these images. And that's the soil she planted herself in. She became bulimic. She started purging her food. She started taking laxatives. 
She skipped meals. The soil she planted herself in was literally killing her. And I wish I could say that she went through some kind of miraculous transformation and that God has entirely healed her of those ideas, but it's not as simple as that. She's at a healthy weight now. She's married and she has a good life, but she is still obsessed with maintaining her weight because those are the images that she soaked in. That's what she chose to be nourished by. So the question I have for you is, where are your roots growing? What nutrients are your roots seeking out? Are you being rooted and grounded in love? You might need to check your soil. I think social media is one good place to start. If you need to check what kind of soil your roots are growing in. Uh, Maybe you need to take a look at your tweets or your yaks. What do those tell you about the nutrients that are feeding you? If someone knew you based only on your social media persona, would they say this is a person whose roots are growing deep in love? Or would they say this is a person who enjoys gossip, who shares images that belittle other people, who looks at images that cause them to hate themselves or to reject other people? We have a choice about where our, where our roots grow. You can choose to seek out the nutrients that God created you to need, or you can choose to seek out the nutrients that lead to death. We have a decision to make. We aren't sanctified in a clean room. God doesn't make it that easy. He doesn't put us in a place with no temptations and no other people and say, now you will be sanctified. He puts us in mixed soil and gives us the choice about which direction our roots grow in. Now, the purpose of all this, the purpose of being rooted and grounded in love is to get us closer to comprehending the love of Christ. He says, he prays for us to have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, I imagine many of you, maybe most of you, are pretty knowledgeable about the love of God. You can probably articulate something about how we know God's love as exemplified in the cross. You can probably explain to someone that God loves them or recite Bible verses like God is love or love is patient, love is kind. But Paul isn't talking about knowledge that we can intellectually articulate. He's talking about a knowledge that comprehending the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is not limited by our ability to understand it. It's significant that Paul says we do this with all the saints. We cannot learn to know and comprehend the love of God that surpasses knowledge in isolation. We have to do that in community. We come to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge when we experience that love from other people. 
That's not an easy thing because we are not all loving all the time. But this exists. This is the gift that God has given us is that he says that we can know a love that surpasses knowledge and he gives us a way to experience that love in the community of the saints, in the people around you. So who are the people at Indiana Wesleyan who you, when you are with them, when you interact with them, you have an experience of the love of God? Are you the kind of person who other people know the love of God better because they have been in a relationship with you? Are there people at Indiana Wesleyan who doubt the love of God because of their interactions with students here? We have the opportunity to live in a community that is seasoned by love. And we only come to know this love that surpasses our knowledge when we experience, when we experience it, when we give that as a gift to other people. All of this leads up to being filled with the fullness of God. We are strengthened by the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in us, we're rooted and grounded in love, and we comprehend that love in a way that surpasses knowledge. And the amazing thing here is that Paul prays boldly. I don't think he's being hyperbolic when he says, filled with all the fullness of God. I think he's saying exactly what he means. He's not exaggerating. And he prays this boldly because he says he knows that this God is able to accomplish abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. We tend to ask too little. We ask for more patience, or we ask for the ability to be a little more kind or a little more loving. And those are good prayers, and God can and does and will answer those. But why stop at a little more when what God offers to us is all of the fullness of God? God's power is not limited by what it occurs to us to ask. God's power, the change that God can bring about in us is not limited by our imagination. We can imagine what it would be like to be a little bit more patient or a little bit more loving, or a little bit more calm, or whatever it is that we want a little bit more of, we have some comprehension of what it would be like to have a little bit more. But this fullness of God, this being swept up so entirely in the love and glory of the triune God that there is no room for anything else, that's harder for us to imagine. But the good news is, God is not limited by our imagination. Whatever it is that you can imagine it would be like to be strengthened in your inner being, to have Christ dwelling in you, to be rooted and grounded in love, however you imagine that being, what God actually wants to do in you is abundantly more than even that. That's an amazing promise. That's not, that's not hyperbole. That's not incrementally getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer and hoping that we keep getting a little better day by day. 
That's God's promise to us that he can and will and does fill us with his fullness. That's Paul's prayer for the church then and for the church now and for each and every one of you, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. I believe that Paul's prayer is also our prayer. I believe in praying the words of Scripture in accordance with the will of God. So if it is your hope to be filled with the fullness of God, I want you to pray with me. And if it is your hope that there are the people in this community who you know the love of God from, if it is your hope that they would also be filled with the fullness of God, I want you to pray Paul's words with me. For this reason, I bow on my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen.